Hello and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. Today we have the one and only, the absolute shred lord, Joe Stump. He talks about coming to Berkeley in a time ruled by jazz, about misconceptions about tone, and always finding joy in playing the guitar. Joe also has a new album out called The Dark Lord Rises, so be sure to check that out. As always, these interviews will also be available on YouTube, and we have a bunch of other great content on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So check us out, like us, and subscribe on all the platforms. Here's our interview with Joe Stump. Hey, this is Joe Stump, and this is Guitar Department Coffee Talk. <laughs> Cheers, Joe. <laughs> this is Kim Perlack, Chair of the Guitar Department, with Cheryl Bailey. How you doing? <laughs> and Ian Steed. Hey. Joe, thanks for hanging with us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, it's great to be a part of Coffee Talk. <laughs> so, in your honor, we've all got our shades. Um, and we've got our Guitar Department coffee mugs. Yes, Bye. yes. Joe, what are you drinking in there this morning? Um, I'm drinking... Uh, I, I, I drink that Cafe Du Monde stuff from New Orleans almost exclusively. You know, get it by the case. And then in my coffee, I used to take like... Um, Fat-free half and half and sugar. Now I swore off sugar, so I got two Splendor in there, some fat-free half and half, and then I'm using that Super Creamer stuff, if you've ever seen that at the store. Uh, there's like a French vanilla one and a hazelnut-flavored one, and it's like flavored with monk fruit, and it's like got some protein in it because I don't eat very much during the day, So and it's, you know, keto-friendly and all that nonsense, so, you know. Wow, that I'm impressed with that. Hey, what do you, think? I, I'm, you know, I'm so health conscious, but I swore off sugar like back back in like April. So, uh, so you know, and I don't even eat any sweets. That was the only that was the extent of my sugar content. Wow, good for you, Joe. That's the way to go, sugar free, and Cafe Du Monde. I'm impressed. Oh That's yeah, the, the, the Cafe Du Monde K cups are like rocket fuel. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's right. Because you always had a coffee station in Five U there on the fifth oh, floor. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I have like a deluxe coffee station. <laughs> wow, good to know. Note taken. Yeah, don't worry, Cheryl. If you teach over there, you're you're hooked up. <laughs> Definitely hooked up if you're near Five U. Um, so, Joe, what we've been doing is having everybody talk a little bit about what your first day at Berkeley was like. Well, I could talk about like my early Berkeley experiences. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, I played, hard, you know, playing hard rock, you know, at a Strat and a Marshall when I was in high school. And I was playing like I grew up in New York and the drinking age was 18. So I was in my first bar at 15, playing in my first bar at like 15 and a half and playing hard rock and stuff. And then I, I went to Berkeley and then everybody's talking in this uh you know, in the jazz lingo with the swinging and the cats and the whole thing. And I was like, I was like, you know, I don't understand anything anybody's saying. You know what I mean? I'm on like planet jazz. I don't know what's going on here. I better get with the program. So I um so and back then it was the obviously the faculty and just the program in general wasn't nearly as diverse. So um it was either, you know, get with this or you go home, you mm -hmm. know. So, so uh 
And I had, I had discovered I was a big fan of Aldi Miola and his Elegant Gypsy and Casino records right, right before I went in my last year of high school. So, I, you know, I was into like some on the rock side of fusion stuff. And then I got into cl more classical stuff and jazz and things of that nature when I, when I got there. Cool. Did you find yeah, um, other students that were into what you were into? I mean, you sort of found a group of people there, or did you feel that, that you were sort of leading the pack on stylistically in what you were doing? Um, no, well, I kind of I fell into playing jazz and playing fusion. And I mean, back at, during that time, you know, it was, a, you know, like, I believe, 1979, um, it was a great time to be there because there was a, you know, there's so many players that went on to do so many great things that were there at the time. Um, and it was really more of a player's school since the MP&E department was in its infancy. And so there was an attitude of, um, around everybody that if you weren't living it, eating, breathing it, and sleeping it, then you should take the next bus or the next train or whatever and just go home. Because here we're, we're you know, we're all business here. We're serious about this. So I love that, that intensity about it. And, um, and, I, and I did play a lot of jazz and fusion stuff when I was a student. But then, you know, maybe midway through the time I was there, I went, you know, I went back to my metal and rock roots. And, and no offense to, you know, I mean, jazz and fusion is great, but it was that for me personally, that was the smartest thing I ever did. Yeah, I had a question about that, because I think a lot of students who come, like some of them come and they think, OK, the guitar department, especially now, has all these styles and I can branch out as much as I want. And they really embrace that. And then there are people who feel like, well, because I'm so committed to this style, I'm reluctant to do that. But when you came you had that choice. You had to really study jazz and fusion or really not be there for a while. So, you know, what would you say like to them about how studying jazz and fusion informed what you do that became your real signature style? Well, I mean, for me, I, for me, I don't know how much that helped me. I played a lot of classical stuff, and I never graduated, but I was a performance major. And at the time you were a performance major, you had to play a lot of so solo stuff. So I played a lot of classical solo stuff, but, you know, not traditional, because I'm not, you know, you take the pick out of my hand and I'm a loser. So um, so I was doing it all like picking fingers, playing some Fernando Soar stuff, and, mm -hmm. um, and of course, a bunch of Bach. And, um, and, you know, and some Paganini and some single note stuff and all that. So that portion of it really, really helped me that, that, you know, that discipline and the fact that, you know, that discipline, that discipline that it takes when you're doing anything, whether it's like, I remember when I was a student, I played Joe Pass's entire arrangement a night and day off one of the virtuoso records. It was like 26 pages long, you know, and I had the whole thing memorized and pretty, pretty blazing. So there was a certain discipline to that, that, you know, translated with what I do now. Well, you know, it's interesting, Joe, about just the classical thing, thinking about Bach. I think that music, the lines in those musics relate to what you do in, in, you know, metal, but also as a jazz player, I always often think in, if reincarnation was true, maybe Charlie Parker was the reincarnation, the way, the concept behind the lines. I just find for just about any genre of music, particularly guitar playing that you want to get into, everybody studies those, right? And there's so much to, to glean from those, those lines. 
Oh, yeah, you, you know, all, all roads lead back to J.S., and you certainly can't go wrong with him. <laughs> or, you know, any of his sons are pretty badass, too, but, you know, J, J.S., is, he is the man. Yeah, I think it's great to hear that, too, as a classical musician, because I think for a lot of students coming in, you think, well, there's these divisions between styles, and, and in some people's minds, classical music is really separate. But I think the more deeply you go everyone who's a great musician has studied that has gone back to study that music because of the way the lines work, because of the way the harmony moves and also having perpetual motion and having phrasing. You know, when I hear metal guitar players, when I hear you play, I think of that right away. I think of the way that phrases really dovetail and you can have something that feels like it never stops, but also feels like it breathes and has different ideas. I mean, just like oh, there's so many things you could take from it, you know, also harmonically and, um, and, you know, and whether it's arpeggio patterns, scalar patterns, different things you can isolate, um, different ideas, the way you're looking at some of the inventions or the fugues and see the way the parts are put together and all that. It's just like it's, it's a continuous, you know, treasure trove of all kinds of stuff. So, Joe, I think like you are probably one of the most known faculty members. I think that's fair to say, like students, they know exactly who you are. You walk down the hallway and people who've never come to Berkeley, they're like, oh, that's Joe Stump, you know? And you've not just created a distinctive sound on the instrument, but the whole way that you are, the whole way that you are as an artist is really distinctive. How did you develop that? Um, well, my, my, um, well, as far as like, you know, the look and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I always liked, I always liked to dress up and like, you know, I remember when I was a little kid and, um, I was like 10, I used to love that show that I used to love Tom Jones, you know, like, mm -hmm. like this is the Tom Jones show. And he would like grab the mic with all his rings and, you know, and then back in the seven, when I was little, I was like nine to 10, they had those silk neckerchiefs you used to wear with the ring and stuff like, you know, like, like with the big you know big lapels and stuff and I had one of those when I was like nine or ten I thought it was the coolest thing you know so I've always been into like you know accessorizing and stuff like that so I was a little I was kind of a wackadoo even as a kid um and then uh and and then and then as far as the way I play it's steeped in like all of the great European masters of of hard rock and metal that started with um Richie Blackmore and Uli John Roth and Michael Schenker and then and then Ingve came along and he was the link between those players and what would become Shred. So I loved all those players and Aldi Miola. And then I was reading about Ingve in a guitar um, player magazine. He was in the Spotlight column, which featured, you know, unknown talent. And I was like, this guy sounds like he'd be right up my alley. He loves all the same people I do. And then I started listening to him. And then, and I, I recognized a lot. Oh, there's a there's an Aldi Miola picking pattern, pattern. Oh, that's an Uli John Rothlet. And then and then um, I started to take took all the things from playing classical music and listening to the European masters, and then and then of course obsessively learning um, Ingve stuff as well. So that's kind of how I developed. And I really haven't strayed off that path. It's it, it's it's like what and it's it, it's what I love. I love to listen to that kind of music. I love to play it. And I ju I'm just immersed in it now. It's a part of me, and it's hardwired into me. So, uh, and and it's not like, oh, don't you get, the, don't, don't you know, don't you want to play in Lydian dominant? I mean, it's awesome, but it's not for me. You know, right. I'm good with the scales I like. 
So I think sometimes the students come to us and they say like, okay, I'm getting towards the end of my Berkeley time. And I don't know if I've developed my voice or who I am. And um, could you give them a sense of like your timeline, you know, like you had a sense of who you were and now you feel like it's embedded in you. What was the evolution of that? Like in a timeline, did it take a while? Um, it, it like, well, well, as soon as I kind of decided I was just going to go full on just in, in, into going back to hard rock, um, it started there in my early 20s. And then, um, and then, I mean, if I was to play you the very first record I made um, in 1989, I was in this band Trash Broadway. Um, and we and, and it was funny because the way we got our record deal is which it, it, which you it, we set the the singer put together like a promo pack with a cassette, and then you would send it out to all the labels. All and the, at at the time there was a ton of independent metal labels, and then we got a call from this label Torrid Records from New York, and they um and they saw and you know we got a record deal and we went to New York City and shot the record cover and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, if I was to play you a track from that, you could still hear elements of my playing, but it's but of course it's not nearly as developed. If I played you like recordings from my the different period of my periods of my career it's always moving forward but i mean i it kind of started in my in my early 20s and then i started to really hone it and like anything you just you're just constantly striving to get better and better so so i would say to students that a lot of times when you're younger um, and I remember being young, especially being from New York, it would be like, all right, if I'm not playing Madison Square Garden by the time I'm 25, I guess I'm washed up. I guess it's all over, you know? And sadly, I have never played Madison Square Garden, but um, but I have played like some big sport. You know, I played the Olympia Hall in Munich, um, and I, you know, not because everybody was there to see me. I was in an opening band on a bigger tour. Um, and that where Deep Purple played and Rainbow played, very famous, you know, Zeppelin played, very famous concert hall. I played like sport halls in Europe and big metal festivals and stuff. So, I mean, I, I, I would tell younger players not to be as, you know, don't worry, it takes time. It, it takes time. Don't, it, but it's great to have direction. Um, one thing I remember distinctly is I used to live next door to Steve by when we were both like 17. And, and one thing great about Steve was that Steve was laser you know laser focused on what he did even back then you know that element of like you know post van halen meets alan holsworth meets frank zappa and you know and all of his thing was he, he was he was developing that from then on and you know and was and so i always thought that was also a great thing having direction as a at a young age and knowing what your thing is and knowing this is going to be what i'm going to do is great. So if you can find, it's great to expand and all that kind of stuff. But if you can, if you can find that and immerse yourself in it, it's awesome. That's great. Ian, what are you thinking about as we're having this conversation? What's on your mind? Well, okay. Can I just go right back to one little fact that you, your band was called Trash Broadway? Yes. That is the like killingest name I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Do you still have the record? Um, you know what's funny is is the record, the Trash Broadway record was was came, was, was just re released. I want to say last year by a label called Demon Doll that puts out all these '80s metal records. So if you go on, um, it's funny because there's a they did like a 
but they did. We there was a track off the record, and there's a bunch of video footage when we were making the record. So if you get the name of the tracks, if you look up Trash Broadway Rough and Tumble, you'll see like you'll it'll be like a like a cut together video. So you'll see pic, you know pictures of me in the studio, like when I was like when I was like you know 28 or something like that. And um, and and I forget who came up with the name. It might have been it might have been me because. Um, or or the drummer or something I can't I can't remember and the logo was very cool because the trash was kind of edgy looking and the Broadway was kind of was kind of classy looking and we actually shot the record cover and this is back in the day where like like we would go we went to New York City and in in parts of New York City the subway tunnels are really really long and 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 so so originally we shot it in the summertime so we're all in our you know rock suits and it's all hot it's like 90 degrees and we're riding the subway in our rock suits to get to the location with a photographer and and you know and of course there's makeup girls you know it's like one of, and um and so we rode we, we rode there and then we got down there and and for some reason we had to shoot the cover again so we went back in the winter time and then the and then there were all these, um, you know, um, guys down on the subway doing crack and everything, and the cops had to clear them out, you know, for us to shoot the record cover and all that. So, so it was a, you know, it was a true New York experience. Wild. Get it. Okay, so one thing, can I go back to like some of the other things you were talking about about like, you know, these things taking time and like, you know, your transformation as a student, you know, from that. Um, I guess one thing, like if you go back and I'm asking everybody this, um, but if there's something that like you've noticed that a lot of students, um, you know, and maybe it was in your own experience, but like some bit of wisdom that you got since then, that's like, if, if I was a student again, like what would have, what would have I, what would I have asked then? Or like, what is the thing that you know, students might come to you and you think like, you know, you're not thinking about it, right? Like, what's the one thing that they should be asking that they might not think to? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer for that, like right off the, the bat. I mean, I, I just try to, I just try to preach to them, whatever you like, whatever you're, whatever you're into. And of course, like most of the players that study with me are metal players, but whatever you're, but metal has so many different subgenres now. I mean, it's great to branch out and all that kind of stuff, but it's great to, you know, don't let anybody take you off the path. Like, stay, stay to the, true to the, to the music that you love, you know, stay true to what brought you there. Like, when students talk to me about, like, playing a performance piece for the proficiency, I say, well, the most important thing is, like, I say, I say, say we're not at Berkeley, say there's no test. I mean, I'd be telling you, what's a great thing to do? Expand your vocabulary by playing things by, by your heroes and the people and the masters of the genre you love. So, so um, and you should be, it should be the kind of thing where you hear that. And I love that. I got to play that. I'm not stopping until I play that. It's got to be, you know, that's the way you got to feel about your proficiency piece. Not like, uh, not like, oh, well, I think I'm going to do this. You know what I mean? Because I did it when I was 14 and it's easy. I got too much homework, you know? So, so I would say stay, you know, stay on the path. Yeah. I, I was thinking about what you're saying. You have really distinctive musical values. I mean, they're undeniable. And when you have students who are coming to you, how do you help them develop their own musical values in the presence of you 
and in the presence of the work of some of these masters without just like kind of falling into this copying, but for the sake of copying, you know, like obviously we're transcribing, we're learning from people, but do you feel as though sometimes students come to you and then they try to copy you? And when that happens, how do you kind of push them to learn from you and then find their own way? Well, well, everybody finds their their own way eventually. I mean, I mean, did I reinvent the wheel? By no means. Do 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 sometimes I sound too much like the players I love? Yeah, of course. But you know that could be guilty of, of many many players. I wear my influences like a badge of honor. You know, I'm I'm proud I'm proud of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's where I got that from. What what's it to you? You know, but, <laughs> but I mean, I'll, one one th- one problem. Just speaking in general, one problem with this generation of players, and it's not their fault, is there's so much information available to them, and everything is so easy and accessible that that old school idea of when you learn something then, you know, taking it apart and taking one idea and stretching it and, and all that kind of stuff and, and stretching it and you stretching it like in ways where you can develop, um, whether it's technical exercises using a particular idea or motif or lick or ways you can learn the instrument or different variations of it rhythmically or whatever, that whole old school thing of taking one lick and turning it into 10 of your own is kind of lost on them to a certain extent where they're kind of programmed to must learn it, must play it, must learn it, must play it clean. I got to get it down. I got to play it as fast as the dude. I'm going to play it better than the dude. You know what I mean? So, so, so there's kind of that thing that kind of gets lost a bit. Mm. Yeah. Cheryl, what's on your mind? Well, I yeah, I have a discussion that I'd love to have with you because I have my opinions about it, and I'm sure that you have some thoughts about this. Um, in terms of playing the electric guitar, like myself, I'm an electric guitarist. I'm not an acoustic guitarist. I, and I, I've tried and it's very difficult. It's a different animal. So, you know, even though, and, and, you know, sometimes people think that I just play jazz guitar, but I know I'm actually came from the same cloth that you were cut from uh, as a shredder. And I, and I do that kind of thing. But so, so like in terms of your technique, on the electric guitar, right? It's different than the playing an acoustic guitar. And, you know, for instance, your technique, um, your t- you know, there are all these elements that overlap when we talk about tone, technique, speed, and musicality, rhythm, feel, time. There's, there's a place in the middle where they all meet. But in terms of the electric guitar, in terms of producing a sound. So, you know, the electric, your instrument is electric guitar. My instrument is electric guitar. So I need to play the electric guitar, not the a guitar unplugged. That's not what I play, right? So getting your sound through your amp, but also it's a different animal when you're playing your guitar through processing through an amp or however you're dealing with it. So distortion or modulation or, you know, any kinds of effects like that. So I, w- I would love to know your opinions. I mean, you could pick any one of these topics because I kind of, th- you know, laid out a deck of cards and you could pick, but I'd love to know your thoughts about developing technique and tone as an electric guitarist. Um, or, or, I mean, somehow I think that you, you're going to have lots of thoughts about it. 
and I'd love to know what they are. Well, I think a player's I think a player's practice tone and playing tone should element should you know replicate their their tone. I mean, I, I mean, say somebody has their their standard guitar rig that they're going to be playing with live or whatever. Um, no matter what, you should you should try to replicate that in any kind of scenario, whether it's a recording scenario or whether it's um, a practice scenario or whatever. Because shaping the t- because that's the thing, like 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 an old adage is like, oh, it's easy to play with distortion. No, it is not easy to play with distortion. You know, oh, all the distortion will cover up whatever you're doing wrong. No, that's not true. Is it easier to play through a small practice amp or two Marshall stacks blaring loud? You know, um, is it easier to sit there crouched over and play or, or be standing up out there doing damage in front of like a whole bunch of people? So, so, so I mean, I mean, you always want your practice tone in any situation, whether it's like a small portable practice tone in a hotel room or, or your home practice tone or whatever. You always want it to be as close to your sound as possible. That way, that way the things you're hearing in, the, in your head and the way you're playing, you're, you're continuous, continuing to develop them. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly, <laughs> we, we're in agreement in that. Um, and I mean, I, even for myself, if I'm going out to play with some of the artists I play with where I do play with a lot, you know, pedal boards and my job is to shred or make sounds, I've definitely set up that rig even though I don't always play with that, I, I definitely set that out before I go on that tour for that reason. Because, I, you know, you know how the instrument, how the pickups and everything react differently with different settings of distortion or if you have reverb on it or delay. And, and really to get the most out of that, you really need to explore all those things that it can do. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, especially, especially in your case, if it's something where, I mean, me, I'm playing with the same type of rig in just about every situation, but it's, it's obviously, obviously, that's much more challenging in a situation like that, where all of a sudden, you're, you're doing something that you don't necessarily do all the time. So it's even more, more crucial to have all that buttoned up and stuff um, beforehand. And of, and of course, like sometimes in various live situations, when you're playing with distortion, I mean, me, I'm usually playing loud, you know, I, I'm either playing loud or really stupidly loud. Um, you know, uh, like, uh, like, I, uh, like, like I was, I was in Finland playing my first show with Alcatraz, I forget in 2019. And I'm like, and they had a Marshall backline for me and I turn on, I start playing and the sound man goes, Joe, if you don't turn down, I don't think we can have a show tonight. You know? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, so it's like, that, that happens to me in sound check. As soon as I hit a chord, it's like, it's like, Joe, you know, as soon as I like plug in Joe, you're too loud. <laughs> I haven't even played anything yet, you know. You I'm want to cu- turn it down? <laughs> I'm curious if you are, do. You, are you a person that likes to drive the sound? That, for instance, your overdrive sound from the amp, pushing the amp, or do you use a lot of effects in front of that? Um, no, my tone's like pretty, pretty um, straight up, you know. Just like, hold on a sec. Let me see. I'll, I'll, I'll see if this works. You know, should work good. Um, I'm not going to play anything fancy, but I'll just kind of demonstrate. Let's see. 
I hear that joyous buzz Joe. already. Yeah, Joe, you're too loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can hear that okay? Yeah. Yeah, see, that, 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 that was like my regular practice tone. Oh. So this, this, I have, uh, I'm playing through an old, I have this old, it's a very antiquated setup, but it sounds killer. It's an old pod 2.0, but I have this killer, like, old school Marshall patch programmed into it that sounds great. So this is kind of like a microcosm of my rig, because you can hear, like, it just sounds like now, no, no drive box, nothing on. And it sounds kind of like a, you know, Hendrixy kind of Richie Blackmore kind of, you know, bluesy crunch tone, you know? I can get a somewhat clean tone. Uh, yeah, and then you can see there I step on the drive box and then and then you know and then and then I get the uh, the big metal tone. So usually, it, usually it's like that. That's like a little microcosm of my live rig, because it's 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 like that where I have like a bluesy, like I set up a Marshall with kind of like a bluesy crunch, and then I'll use a drive box, and then and and then usually what I do live is I'll have several drive. I'll do, use two different drive boxes. Like one will be for more like full on shred and metal type stuff, and the other one's like a darker, more mid rangey Richie Blackmore kind of thing. I'll use for like more retro hard rock stuff. That's, you know, that's great. Ooh, I just want to oh, say one more thing. I hope that you use ear protection because it sounds... I uh, mean, no, but I really don't have that much. I've never had, like, you know, a big problem with my ears. Um, and, and, you know, I've used it before in some rehearsals because, you know, if you're in a small rehearsal room and... Um, and a lot of time that I'm I'm always stage left, so the drummer's always on my right. So probably my right ear gets gets more beat up, and it's more from it's more from the drummer the you know the drummer hitting the snare, especially some some of some of the players I play with. Like you know they'll hit the snare, and it'll make you you know your teeth chatter. What I was thinking when you were going through your sound, what I think every guitarist and every style can relate to that at a certain point, like your tone, your sound becomes so important. And that was a huge part of being classical guitarist. And sometimes when I see students, something that they're a little reluctant to claim, like, this is the way I want to sound. This is what I sound like. This is what my tone is. This is how I'm going to get the sound I want. And I'm wondering, um, do you feel like your sound, your tone has been consistent throughout your playing? Or when do you feel like you kind of found it? Well, I mean, I have a very distinct sound. I, I mean, I, I mean, any player's tone and sound always comes from their hands. Right. And, and, and you know, and who they are. I, I mean, as I often say, it sounds all deep, but it has to come from within. You know, yeah, like you, you can have all the same gear as your favorite, favorite players and stuff, but you're you, you're always going to sound like you. And so, so I mean, I, I've been developing my little niche for like, and my, my, um, the sound of my hands is a microcosm of all the players that I like kind of all assembled together. And, 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 and with like the way I play and what I do, it comes out sounding like me. 
Um, so I've been developing that over years and years. And, and of course, like anything, it keeps getting better and more refined and more consistent. So, you know, I'm very pleased that like my last two solo records, um, Symphonic Onslaught and The Dark Lord Rises, um, are like the two best, you know, two best records I've made in my entire career. So it's, so it's very gratifying, um, making you know making records since steadily since 1989 for a solo record 93 that I make that that my best my best works like my most recent work and, and and like and of course like the sound and the tone and you want it to all come together like the sound in your hands what's going on with the instrument um controlling the the beast under your fingers and all that it's supposed to be you know it all comes to it all comes together like if I'm tracking a solo the harder, like all the, all the you know fast technical nonsense. All of a sudden, you, something comes out. It's not quite as tidy as you want. That's easy to fix. Um, you go in there. Okay, well, I, I, let me fix that one thing. Um, but back in the old days, it wasn't like that. When you recorded on two inch tape, you had to like you had to trash the whole take. It couldn't you, you couldn't go in and fix one thing. Um, you know, back in the old days, of recording on tape. But anyway. Um, the, the hardest things to replicate are, are like all of a sudden, you know, you hit a note just right and you get a killer tone and the planets align and, and you know, and, and the heavens open up and it's just like, all right, there it is. You know, it's, it's just like it, it, sometimes it's like you try to do it again, but you're not going to get close. Right. Yeah. Those are the harder things. But a lot of students like like some some of my students will come in and their guitars like they're missing a knob. <laughs> or 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 the other thing the other thing is like is like they'll have a Floyd Rose a locking system but they don't have any of the um it's like you know that works better when you have the uh you know the 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 nut screwed down so the guitar stays in tune better it's it's like I, I tell them it's like having a gorgeous car but it's filthy you know the inside's got you know McDonald's wrappers on the floor and the things all dusty and dirty I mean you got to take care of your weapon. <laughs> um. One of the things that's come up so much that kind of relates to everything that you're saying is for a lot of students this time, like we're filming like this because we're in a pandemic. And this is the first time some of them have really had to adapt to like a real big shift that's disrupted what they're doing musically. And I think some of the faculty are just experiencing it differently because it's not the first time you've had to adapt over the years to shifts. And so is there something that comes to mind that you think of in that way, like about adapting that could help people who are just experiencing this for the first time? Um, well, I, I, well, I mean, is it ideal? No, but I mean, Everyone's still, uh, you're still learning, you're still playing the guitar. Myself, I'm still instructing. Um, so the, so, so the, the love of the instrument and the dedication to the craft continues. You know, yeah, uh, so regardless of the situation, nothing should stray you from that. You know, things, th things will always be, there'll always be something that's hard. There'll always be something that, um, that you'll have to adjust to or adapt to. Granted, this is complete. This is more, much more life changing, 
um, than standard things that would happen happen in the music business or someone's career. But I mean, you always have to keep that in mind. Because I, I, as I often say, I'm a glass is half full. You know, my glass is always half full. I'll say that to my students. I'll be, uh, I'll be like asking them, the, them something like a scale or a chord, you know, preparing for the test. And I'll be like, well, you know, it wasn't correct, but that was a scale nonetheless. You know, I'm a glass is half <laughs> You know, was that the correct scale? No, but it was a scale. So that's so, so on the right track, you know. As I say to them, I'm a glass is half full guy. But, um, but but you know you always want to you, you always want to you want to try to be positive because because you have to be especially in this in this kind of uh, in this kind of situation and you want to you really want to consider yourself lucky to be still involved with the instrument and learning and and, and still still doing things that you love. Cheryl, what comes to mind for you, kind of as we approach the wrap here? Well, I, you know, your, uh, the joy, your joy of playing is so evident every time I hear you and your passion for it. It's infectious. And I love that this is, um, that, you know, you're part of our team to share that with, with our students. No, that would be the, and, and all that you were just saying there about, you know, the importance of continuing to study and develop your craft. Um, I think I think we all agree with that, and and so I really thank you for sharing that with us. And again, for your great guitar playing, it's very inspiring. Oh, thanks. I, I will tell a funny story at the end. Uh, when I was a student, I used to study with this guy Al Defino, um, that was on the guitar faculty. And Al, oh, was I know Al Defino. He's a, a a bit of a legend. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> So Al, so so when you would wait outside for your lesson, you could hear Al yelling at the student before you, like like really laying it laying into them, and then and then people would leave their lesson crying, you know. And what and I was I was of course a very good student, so so Al was quite fond of me, and I studied with him for many semesters, and you know he'd be like he'd be like Joe, like like I I'd be waiting for my lesson. He go Joe, get in here, play for this guy. You know, hey, you watch him. You know, but anyway, one thing that that Al Al was like when he wasn't when you were, when no one was around, he was practicing. He he would like take his guitar. You'd sit across from him, and he would stare you down like like it, it, like if you're not if you don't mean business with this thing, you shouldn't even be in the same room with me. You know, so that that's the way it was. And so I, I one thing I got from him was that intensity about being on it all the time. You know, it's it's like, guess what? You're a little tired today. Too bad. You know what I mean? You don't feel good. Too bad. You got to, you know, in my, for me, especially what I do, I got to bring it every day. You know, every every day, every lesson. It doesn't matter whether I'm giving a lesson, doing a class, playing a concert, whatever. It's got to be consistent and on it. So I got my that intensity, but I channel it to my students in a much more friendly and nicer way. <laughs> you know, needless to say, you know, I would be the opposite as far as being a hard ass goes. So so I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, that's what I try to translate to my students that, um, you know, you could talk about scales and chords and arpeggios and, and, and technica, technique and everything, but there's no secret. The, the more you play, the faster you get better. You know, it, you, you play in four hours, play six. You play in six, play eight. 
You know? I'm, yeah. you know, I often tell to my students all the time, you know who's practicing all the time? Me. I don't know what all of you you were doing, but you know, you know who's getting good? Me. Let's go. Get with the program. I love it. I, that's so true. I love that so much. I want Cheryl to unmute so we can hear you laughing. I think. Well, no, because you know, I I grew I came up in that Berkeley environment too, and I, I think that rubbed off on me as well. And yeah, I was in the conservators right with you in spirit. Um, Joe, what advice do you have for us as we're like you know, kind of managing the department? Like, what did what have you seen like over the course of your time at Berkeley? that we should know? Um, I, I, you know, I think you guys are doing a tremendous job and like, and, you know, an awesome job as far as, as far as the department goes and the, and like, like anything, like I'll often use, I'm a huge, uh, since I'm from New York, I'm a huge Yankee fan, you know, so, so a team always takes the, uh, takes on the personality of their manager, so to speak, you know, and, and, La and Larry, of course, was a big part of that. And you've, and both of you have continued that. So I think, I think that's tremendous. I think that's tremendous. So, so um, I, I, for me, nothing, no, nothing comes to mind. I think, I think everybody's doing. The, I think out of all the departments at the school, especially, and it's no, and it's no secret that the guitar department is the life's blood of Berkeley. You know yeah. that. You know we're you know without us, it's like please come on. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you know the life's blood of the college. So you know. Mm -hmm. I, so so and I think we're doing all things considered. I think we're doing quite well. And and I, I, I know on my end, all the students are, are fairly happy and engaged and stuff. Granted, uh, granted, the um, the pandemic's going to get everybody down from time to time. But um, but but so far, everything's been very positive, all things considered. Yeah. I mean, what are some of the things you think that has made the guitar department successful like that? Like when you say that and you relate it to over the years kind of becoming the life's blood of our school, like what what is it? Can you put your finger on it? What stands out to you about the way we are with each other? Um, well, there's a great camaraderie between all the faculty, and of course, there's the, the faculty is in, intensely diverse. So, whatever whatever style of music you love, um, and whatever style of guitar you love, there's going to be somebody there that's that that you're really going to be, you know, that that, that you're going to be excited about studying with. So I think I think that the talent of the and 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 the the knowledge of you know, the knowledge and skill of like uh, of the faculty members is 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 unparalleled. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we all have a, something to say about that in the sense that when you have this many different people who are this good but really respect each other and are have fun together, I think it creates a whole environment where a lot of things are possible, right? Yes, that's what I tell my students all the time mm -hmm. is, um, is like, uh, like being concerned with self-improvement is important. Um, developing is important. Dedication and discipline is important. And, and you should be concerned with getting, getting good and all that. But, um, but, you know, you don't want to zap all the fun out of it. That's what I tell them. I got into this line of work because it's fun. You know, guitar's fun. It, for me, it's still fun. It's like, it, you know, it's having a license to be 15 years old for like the rest of my life. You know, I mean, if you, I show you my workroom, it looks like, you know, I have like, hold on a sec. I'll see if I can spin it around. You know, I have like guitars there. You know, I have like 
pictures and posters, all uh, framed pictures of all my heroes and everything. Got, you know, the Hendrix wall over here. It's like it's like you died and went to guitar heavy. <laughs> it looks a lot like Five U, actually. It yeah, really like, does. It, it's like a fancier version of Five U, but with way more pictures and guitars. <laughs> and of course, like, there's guitars, DVD. You know, there's guitar DVDs and CDs everywhere. You know, that's great. Um, Ian, do you have a last thought for us before we finish yeah. this pot of coffee? I guess I'll just like, you know, bounce off that same sort of uh, feeling that like having that diversity of like styles, like really allows uh, like students to like really be genuine in the music that they play. And I, you know, you touched on a lot of that today. And it's like the fact that like, you know, you got all these different people playing all these different styles and they're like, all doing it so well you know actually kim i had ilre 375 with you and i remember mm -hmm. like all these different performance majors playing all these like styles and there would be like a kid playing like mashuga gent music and it was like he like slayed it and everyone was just like oh whoa you know and then next <laughs> thing you know there was uh ole who was a um singer songwriter and he played and it was like he was like a singer songwriter guy who like accompanied himself on guitar, but he like murdered that tune. And it was just like, wow, this guy's really good too. I don't know. So I think, yeah, I I'll just bounce off that same feeling that like having that and like really allowing people to play genuinely, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think Joe, that everybody feels that, you know, on that first day when the students come and they're all sitting in the hall and waiting for placement, and then you walk down the hall with a cup of coffee and they're like, oh man, there it is. Like all wrapped up and, and you doing that and be like, hey, what's up? It's like that you have that persona that they recognize that they associate with your style and your level and that it's right there. It's like right there with them. Like there they are in the guitar department with you. And I think yeah. that's really cool. No, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, I mean, it's it's nice to study with somebody uh, um, that has a lot of life. Uh, I mean, I've made many records, done many tours, and all, and all that kind of stuff. So it's it, 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 it's 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 great to pass on all different types of things. You know, whether it's touring or recording, or, or you know, I've been in so many situations, done so many things. And I mean, that's like one thing I'll say in closing is that's one thing that's really killing me is the um the non-live playing thing and not and not from like oh well of course you know i love to travel like some people don't like to travel i love to travel you know i like to get on the plane um you know <laughs> i mean i'm not as excited about it now since they cut alcohol sales but uh, <laughs> but i mean i like to fly and everything you know i don't mind it at all but um you can bring your own yeah, I, I, oh, I, I did that, like, I, the last time I flew was I had to do a photo shoot back in March with Alcatraz because we had these pictures that the record company's like, no, we can't use these, you know, you got to, mm. you got so I had to fly out to California, so, so yeah, I, 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 I had it, like, very, I had it, like, very put together, I had, like, a little kit with, like, nips, and then I had um, little tiny bottles of Bloody Mary mix, and then I had a, and then I had a water bottle and everything, I was like, you know, I managed to, to I managed to work the system. Always planning ahead in everything, in guitar and in life. 
but but um, what was that? Uh, but now I forgot what I was going to say. But um, but oh, that's one of the things that's killing me is that because there's nothing better for your playing than playing live, you know. So it's the kind of thing where that's that's damaging the craft, as I would like, you know. That that that's it's not it's not like yeah, well, the audience is great, traveling is great, playing shows, but there's no substitute for live performance as far as what it does for your playing. Mm. So that 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 that's like one of the most disappointing things for me. Not so much from the glitz and glamour of it, because it, you know anybody that's done a lot of touring, you, you have to do so many stinky things up when you tour. That's that that's uh, you know it's like one stinky thing after the other. The bigger the tour, the more stinky things you have to do, um, and the longer the tour, more stinky things you have to do. <laughs> um, like sometimes true tests of will and strength. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I've got everyone, that's what I often say to people. It's like, you know what, that rock, trust me, all that rock star stuff, it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> I love it. Um, Joe Stump, thank you for coming to Coffee Talk with oh, us. Thanks for having me. And Coffee Cheers. Yep. And, um, we'll see you all Everybody. next time on Coffee Talk. Bye, everybody.